Have you ever acted differently in a new position because you thought you had to present a certain persona? This week's guest, Latrice Younger, shares how she realized authenticity with her staff was the key to building connections and enhancing collaboration in her building. In this episode, we also discuss equity practices in schools, how to enhance students' writing skills, new leadership mistakes being made, and Latrice's passion project, Helping Aspiring Black Women Become Educational Leaders. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Latrice, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Joshua. It's good to be with you. It is great to see you. You are in the Aspire Podcast Boxer Group, and you have been such an amazing presence in that conversation every single day, and it is such a pleasure to actually see you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being with me tonight. Thank you for your kind words. I'm growing a lot, too. I just enjoy being, as I said, a part of a group of diverse thinkers. It's nice to get different perspectives on things, hearing from people from all across the country. I'm enjoying that. Yeah. So, Latrice, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, what is your leadership journey, and how did you become a principal? Well, my leadership journey likely started with me having been a big sister. I'm the eldest of three girls in my family, and that has always made me a leader, a certified leader. I've always been in charge. I've always been responsible for others. Even growing up as a young girl, a lot of my friends used to call me mama because that was just my personality. I'm naturally and innately a nurturer. I care very much about people. As far as education goes, I decided to go into leadership after a few years of being an English language arts teacher. I accepted my first leadership position with Catapult Learning to be a director of literacy. Then I became a instruction assessment analyst with a school district in Richmond City, where I did the data analysis for a couple of middle schools. And then eventually I became an assistant principal and I've been an assistant principal now. This is my fourth year. I'm very excited to continue to be working with the children and families of Culpeper County in Virginia. So you've had a lot of different positions leading up to being an administrator. So what was one of the biggest differences from one of your earlier positions, like being a teacher or a coach, to now being an administrator? Well, <laughs> I can tell you that I've grown a lot because when I first started <laughs> my first coaching position, I, I apologize to those teachers that I had to coach because I wasn't as great as it as I thought I could be only because I focused too much on being the authoritarian. I I thought that I had to come in knowing all the answers and I didn't ask for a lot of feedback and input from the teachers I was serving. And that was wrong. And I think as the years have gone by, the more I've learned about leadership, the more I've learned about servant leadership, it's changed my mindset because now I understand I don't have to be sage on the stage. I just have to have a willingness and I need to be open and I need to listen and respect the thoughts and feelings of others, because these people are adults. They're not my students. (laughs) They are adults. They are professionals. And I need to treat them as such. So I think, honestly, you know, my leadership style has grown immensely because I now have that understanding that I'm not going to know all the answers. But the fact that I have a willingness to always problem solve, to always be of service to people, that's what makes me a great leader. Yeah. Shifting from working with students, children to now adults, I know a lot Mm -hmm. of leaders 
stumble upon trying to use the same tactics and strategies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of had that same experience. So what was it that you had to shift as far as your mindset or tactics mm-hmm. to be successful with adults? I had to understand that I'm not in charge. When you are working with students, you are in charge as the adult and you have that understanding. And I tried to transfer that same mindset to working with adults. And that absolutely fails every time because adults are at a point where if they don't have that strong relationship with you, they completely disconnect from you, regardless of the fact that, you know, the job is the livelihood. They will not follow you if they cannot connect with you, Um, which is pretty much akin to what goes on when you're having that teacher student relationship. But just on a different level now, though, because, again, these are adults and they're professionals. And so when it comes to leadership, it needs to be more of an influential thing rather than something where it's like coercion. You're trying to make people do things. It just doesn't work out as well. No, it's so true. Latrice, I'm going to change this topic just a little bit because, you know, we had a really lively conversation that you actually started in that boxer group, which was on equity and some of the things that you're doing on your campus and in your district. And so I would love for you to share with the listeners some of the things that you're doing right now with equity. Awesome. This year, I started off the school year being pretty courageous. I'll tell you that I work with an executive coach. And she has been really instrumental in just helping me find my voice and making me feel unafraid to be able to say the things that definitely need to be said. Uh, In the past, for most educators, we kind of stay away from race. We don't even talk about it. It's just like a non-issue. You just kind of go with the flow. All kids means all kids. And you kind of put that blanket statement out. But I really wanted us to dig deep into, do we mean that? And what are the practices and things that we're doing in schools that demonstrate that to our families. So I started off a conversation with even my English um, department, whom I supervise, where we really just looked at what type of literature are we putting in front of our students? And is it reflecting all of them? Just making sure that the students are having voice and choice in their work. Looking at all of our instructional practices to ensure that they're culturally relevant and responsive because it's a both and sort of thing. So just examining all of the things that we presently do and putting it under that microscope to see, are we really being equity builders or are we just sort of giving lip service? That's really important to me this year. Yeah. What have you found so far? I mean, as far as going through and going through the curriculum and different things to to make sure that you are being responsive, was it something that you created a committee or a group of people that were passionate, like like-minded people? How did you go about that? Honestly, I just, I knew to start with my team um, because for English language arts, that's probably one of the easiest ways to try to include more equitable practices because you're reading stories and then reading the stories, you get to learn and gain perspective of others. So I'm just working with my team right now. And I've found that those teachers are absolutely amazing. They were highly responsive. Some of them are doing really courageous things despite whatever may be going on as a consequence of it, but they're just determined. They're committed to try to, like I said, make sure that the things that we are saying we believe in, we actually do believe in. I'm very proud of the teachers that I'm working with right now. I think they're doing amazing things. So as an administrator, what are some things that you didn't expect when you first became on the job? I know a lot of people that are listening Mm -hmm. are aspiring to be probably administrators, counselors, something uh, at the district level. And so for you, you know, in that position, Mm -hmm. what are some things that you weren't expecting? 
how much (laughs) you really don't know. (laughs) I mean, you can take all of your master's educational leadership program classes that you have and still come into that job and have a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things to learn sort of on the job. I think it's really important to just be open-minded and to continue to ask questions. You do not know everything. It is like really imperative when you are new to educational leadership that you understand that you need to constantly ask for help, ask for assistance, look up things that you do not know. Do not ever try to wing it because that will backfire. (laughs) Um, But just to constantly be in that growth mindset, always be willing to learn, always be willing to look for what is the new thing that I can try or do. Because that's what we want for our teachers, right? We want teachers to always be trying and learning new things. I can't tell my teachers that if I'm not willing to do that. So I constantly look for new ways that I can learn new things so that I can then share it with them. And then they can use that same mindset with students. So how important is vulnerability as a leader? Because there are a lot of times that as leaders, we don't know the answer, (laughs) especially now in 2020. It's happening every day. But why is it so important for us to say, I don't know, or, you know, share our emotions at the time and be vulnerable with our staff? Because we're modeling. We're modeling. We want them to do that with kids. When I was a teacher, kids would ask me things and I would tell them, absolutely. I have no idea, but I promise (laughs) you, I will figure it out for you. And I think people respect and respond to that better Mm -hmm. rather than coming on with this up off the cuff answer that is completely wrong and that throws everyone off is really important to just tell people the truth. I don't know, but I'm going to take steps to find out. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And it pays dividends in terms of the respect factor from people. What is a initiative, and this could be you know, as a coach or a teacher, or maybe as in your current position, but what was something mm-hmm. that you put together that you felt was deeply impactful and something that really affected the campus or the district? When I came in, I came in with this huge discipline literacy push. I wanted to start a writing across the curriculum campaign in my building because writing is an area, a growth area for us. And so it's kind of hard to sometimes get teachers of other contents to buy into that because the logic is English should be taught in English class. We should not have to do this across the campus. But what I started to share with the teachers, and now I know they're all on board with, is the fact that you use literacy in all contents. There is not one profession where you do not have to read and write. And so it is important for all of us to remember that we're all literacy teachers. I did uh, writing across the curriculum training last year. I would do it once a month. It was offered completely at volunteer level for the teachers. They could come in, they can sit, they can learn new things that they can implement in their classrooms in terms of practical strategies. And at the end of the year, I did a survey and all of the teachers acknowledged, I think it was about 86 or 88% acknowledged that discipline literacy is hugely important. We do need to make sure that we're teaching kids um, proper editing skills in all classes. We do need to make sure that kids have an opportunity to write in all classes. Um, I'm really, really impressed by the teachers in my building that sort of adopted the mindset that discipline literacy is important and is necessary. And it does help children grow and writing does help to retain information. Mm -hmm. So they benefit from the kids doing additional writing in class as well. Um, I'm really proud of that campaign. I think that worked really well last year. Yeah. In regards to not only writing, but with reading, what are you doing to get kids excited about reading? 
Well, last year, my department did a lot of incentives. I had advised teachers that we do some type of quarterly incentive to get kids motivated and excited about reading. So sometimes it would be a contest um, for Halloween. I dressed up one year and I just kind of came in and gave out candy, but the kids had to answer my literacy questions. And this is middle school. So, you know, sometimes for middle school, middle schoolers think that stuff is kind of cheesy, but I know at the end of it all, they enjoy that. Oh, yeah, what child it. does not enjoy having candy? Um, so we just kept trying to find ways. We brought in guest speakers. We had someone come and talk about her book. She was a local author, but we just keep trying to find ways to increase and engage kids in the reading process. Uh, we keep offering kids the opportunity to choose the things that they read and not always mandating the things that they read. And I think that's changed the the culture in the building and it's made the culture a bit more literacy rich. Yeah. So with your equity piece and bringing literature from different cultures and whatnot, you know, yes. are you trying to bring in more characters that look like the students that you're serving? Exactly, exactly. And in my um, in my present school district, predominantly the demographics are Caucasian students. However, we do have quite a sizable uh, English learner population. We have a very small African American population, but even with that. It's important, as I heard Dr. Bettina Love once say, for all students to get this information because it helps to create a more tolerant environment. So all children benefit when they get to read stories about other characters who do not look like them and do not sound like them. Mm -hmm. It kind of goes into Redeem Bishop Sims when she talks about mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. You need to see yourself, but then you need to see others because that's how you grow and gain perspective. And so the teachers, like I said, I'm very proud of them because... They constantly look for ways to add more literature by either African-American or Latino authors, or they look for literature that has some of those protagonists in the text that will help engage and get the kids involved in the reading. So let's talk about staffing, because that's kind of similar, right? As far as Mm -hmm. students growing by seeing people that are like them. Mm-hmm. Education is dominated by the Caucasian race. So yes. what can we do as a whole, as an educator, right, to change that so that our demographics are matching our students? A few things some school districts can try to do. I know one thing we're encouraging my district to do is to start to reach out to um, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, yep. um, just letting those students know that certain districts or campuses exist. Sometimes they just have no idea. So just reaching out to them and seeing if we can get them to come on to campuses like ours, where the students may not look like them, but again, children benefit from meeting people from all walks of life. So that's one thing definitely I hope that more school districts will start to invest in, is invest in going to schools where predominantly African-American or Latinx students are and see if you can bring them onto the campus so that you can enrich the culture. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I want mm-hmm. to talk about a project that you're extremely passionate about, too. It's something that you've started, but I think this correlates kind of what we were just talking about. So will you just talk about that project? In, I guess it would say January of this year, I really decided that I was going to go full-fledged with posting a lot of um, highlights, as, as I like to call them, of um, Black women education leaders from all across the country. And it started really from a place of pain. I'll be quite honest. Mm -hmm. I am the only African-American administrator in my building. And sometimes, you know, as much as I love being with my coworkers and my colleagues, there is a loneliness that comes with that. 
And so for women who are in similar positions like me, I wanted to make sure that they always felt encouraged and inspired. Um, they didn't feel as if they were sort of token. They were there because they earned that right to be there. Um, and so I just wanted to uplift. So I started posting highlights of women that I saw doing really great things in educational leadership. And then it sort of catapulted to becoming um, a nonprofit organization in June of this year during the pandemic of all things that we came incorporated. <laughs> and I started a board with, with these seven amazing women uh, who are very much so committed to doing coaching and mentoring and providing services, having a book club and just making sure that we're wrapping our arms around aspiring black women who are in educational leadership. We want to provide scholarships for those women who may want to become educational leaders, but a lot of the leadership assessment tests are so expensive. So we wanna make sure that we remove all those barriers so that we can increase the number of black women in educational leadership across the country. For folks that wanna learn more about that project, how can mm -hmm. they connect with you? Uh, the best way is to follow us on Twitter. That's the most active spot for us right now. Um, the handle is at leaders underscore black. And um, we also have a link tree that will be um, in the profile for the Twitter account. Um, we're working on our website. We're just kind of doing ground up building right now. So we're starting small, but we're just excited to offer the products and services that we have thus far. Yeah, that's so important. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about that project. And if anyone is interested, make sure that you are going to that Twitter account and finding those links. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Latrice, I want to talk about our aspiring leaders too. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I love getting real tangible action steps for our aspiring leaders because a lot of times throughout the country, folks don't have a mentor or someone to look up to, to, to get that information from. And so I'm hoping that, you know, we can get that from our guests. Um, and I would just love to hear an aspire action step from you uh, to enhance the leadership skills of our listeners. Um, look, my step is not going to be as deep as you'd like, but it's a hundred percent to be authentic, be your authentic self. Do not bring anyone else to the table. It is so crucial as a leader that you understand one, what your strengths are mm -hmm. and that you build and capitalize on those. Do not try to be like anyone else. It's so easy to have that imposter syndrome where you feel like you do not belong. You do not fit. There is a voice for everyone. I strongly believe that and all of our gifts and all of our talents are meant to be utilized at a right time. So just coming into any type of leadership position, be yourself. That is hugely important and be vulnerable and open with people. And that will help you gain their respect. I think this is so important because I think we all assume that we have to be a certain way as a leader. And so we do sometimes act differently when we get in that leadership position. So was there ever a time that you started to do that yourself? I know I did. <laughs> I, that was probably my first position I shared with you. When I was a literacy coach, my goodness, I just, like I said, I apologize to those poor women and uh, men who had to endure that because they got, they didn't get the full Latrice. Sure. They got the Latrice that thought that she had to be a hundred percent on top of everything. I never could be wrong. Mm. I didn't take a lot of feedback and suggestions from them as I should have. Right. And that's not leadership. 
Um, I think I've become a much better leader now because I'm very much so open to people's suggestions. I don't do anything without input. Even as an assistant principal, I still issue surveys to my teachers. And it's so funny that a couple of times I've done that, at, even in my fourth year as an administrator, um, the first time I did it at one of my, um, at my first middle school where I was an AP, the teacher said, no one has ever asked us how they were doing. They had never experienced anything like that. And I didn't realize how rare it is that principals actually ask teachers for the feedback. Um, but that was important to me because all I kept asking teachers was, how can I better serve you? And I think people loved and respected and admired that I'm looking out for ways that I can serve them and not how they can do things to make my life easier. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to continue to do that. That's always going to be my mindset moving forward. How can I continue to best serve you? Because that's my job. Yep. Talk about vulnerability. Throw out a survey to your entire staff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Oh, it's, yeah, it's revealing. <laughs> I learned some things about myself. One person put, can you please stop speaking so fast? <laughs> and you know what? It changed me because when I would speak with them, I would just, I would be so quick. But a lot of that is attributed to my New York City mentality. But I started to really think about it. I need to slow down and make sure that I'm very selective in my words because what I have to say is important. Um, it helped me to become a better communicator. So I told that person, I am so glad. I don't know who you are, but I am glad that someone had the audacity to say, Latrice, slow down. Yep. Um, because it changed me and it really did make me a more effective speaker. Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful advice for anyone. If you are not asking for the feedback of those you serve, um, you need to make sure you're doing that. Because sometimes we don't even realize we're doing the things that we're doing. Um, just like you said, mm -hmm. communication. I walked really fast in the hallway. Sometimes I'd walk so fast, I'd just blow by people and, you know, they, they just want a simple hello. And I didn't realize I was doing that. That was yeah. early in my career. And so, you know, if unless someone tells mm -hmm. you, you can't fix it. So <laughs> you got to ask. Latrice, well, one, if folks are not following you, they need to do so right away. And if they're not connecting with you, they need to do that because I feel like you have just so much wisdom um, to provide. And so for our listeners, how may they connect with you on social media? So um, I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Latrice Younger, L-A-T-R-E-S-E, -E, last name Younger. That's my most active spot. I'm also on LinkedIn. Yeah, those are probably the best two ways to connect with me. I'm extremely active on Twitter. Wonderful. Latrice, it is always a pleasure. I value every minute I get to talk with you. And I just awesome. thank you so much for being on the podcast tonight. Likewise. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Joshua. I appreciate it.